Good morning. Uh, thank you for that prayer, Liz. Man. Um, well, it's so good to be with you this morning. My name is Michael Carlson. I'm the lead pastor here, uh, and I, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, I, I want to begin this morning uh, by reading a quote with a blank, and, and your job, your mission, should you choose to accept it, uh, is to guess as to what fits in this blank. This is a quote from uh, a popular author and renowned clinical psychiatrist named David, Ar sorry, Dale Archer. Dale Archer, here it is, you ready? If I could find a way to package and dispense blank, I would have a pill more powerful than any antidepressant on the market. Now it's your turn. What are we talking about here? Peace. Peace. What else? Hope. Hope. Love. Joy. What? What? Happiness. Forgiveness. Oh, man. There's, there's, there's so many things we could put in this blank. Uh, what, what Dale Archer is referring to here, well done, Liz, is hope. He said, if I could find a way to package and dispense hope, I would have a pill more powerful than any antidepressant on the market. Hope, according to the Oxford Dictionary, is a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. It's one of life's most powerful motivational forces. Whether you're working for the weekend or planning for retirement, a student with eyes set on graduation or a teacher counting down the days until summer break, maybe illness or some sort of medical condition, physical or mental, has struck. And, and the hope, the hope of, of some sort of relief or recovery is the only thing keeping you going. Maybe, maybe you're single, longing for a relationship. Or you're in a difficult relationship, longing to get out. Whatever your story, whatever your age, hope is the voice that speaks directly to our unfulfilled longings. Saying things like, it's going to get better. Don't give up. Keep trying. It's, it's like a lasso that wraps itself around your unmet desires. We all, in some way, are pulled through life by hope. This morning, we are talking about hope. We are talking about the hope of new creation. We, we, for a while now, have been in the midst of a series called The Story. We believe that, that the Bible tells a story. Uh, and not just any old story, but we believe that the Bible tells the one true story of the world. And, and so over the course of these past several weeks, what we've done is we've, we've broken up the Bible into six different parts. What we call the, the six acts of the biblical drama. 
and, and we've been telling this story. And, and we have, as Matt described earlier, we, we've attached a symbol with each act to help us remember the story, to help us learn to live within the story, and, and ultimately to help us share and tell the story. And so the story began with Act 1, creation. It began with a God who created all things and all things good. And at the center of his creation was us, you and me, God's image bearers, created and designed to, to know God, to love him, to walk with him, to delight in him, to serve him, and to have such a relationship with him that, that we would then reflect who he is to the world around as his image bearers. Act one, creation. We then moved to Act 2 of the story. And, and in Act 2, something tragic, we learn, happened. In Act 2, in, the, in that classic scene of Adam and Eve in the garden, we found that, that Adam and Eve, God's image bearers, instead of trusting God's voice, instead of obeying God, they trusted a different voice. And they they took God off of the throne of their hearts and put themselves in his place. Thus entered sin into the story and all of its devastating and deadly consequences. Death now was a part of God's good creation. Death in our relationship with God, death in our relationship with ourselves, death in our relationship with one another, death in our relationships with the rest of the world. This is not the way it was supposed to be. And we discussed how this is not simply just a story about something that happened a long time ago, but also it's our story. And the big question was what, what is God going to do? Is he going to crinkle up his creation project and throw it in the cosmic trash can or or is he going to do something else? And, and that's when we moved to Act 3 in the biblical story. And in Act 3, what we discovered is that God made a promise. He introduced himself to a man named Abraham. And he said, okay, Abraham, through you and your family, your descendants, I'm going to bless the entire world. I'm going to make things right. And not only that, but I'm going to give you a vocation. I'm going to give your people a job. And that is to deal with sin and to reveal me to the world. The historic people of Israel had the vocation of dealing with the sin problem and, and were called, therefore, to be a light to the nations, to show and tell the world what God was like so that the world might, might see who God is and be drawn to him once again. But, but as you read through the very long story of Israel, the majority of what we call the Old Testament of the Bible, what we find tragically is the same thing we found with Adam and Eve and the same thing we find in all of our hearts, that the very people who were supposed to be God's agents of healing and renewal in this world actually became carriers of the disease. And so once again, God was left with a question. What's he going to do? Is he going to fulfill his promise, regardless of the cost, or not? We then discussed 
Acts 4. And we met Jesus. And what we discovered is that in Jesus, God, yes, indeed, was faithful. God is faithful. In the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, God acted decisively to deal with sin. And when we see Jesus on the cross, what we see is a God who is willing to take upon himself sin and all of its devastating effects. And in so doing, defeat evil. And so Jesus lived and showed us what it meant to live life under the reign and rule of God, a beautiful life. And then he died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, and then he was raised from the dead, defeating death itself. This is the good news that we proclaim. Act 4. So what did this mean for us? Right? We then, last week, moved on to Act 5, the church. This is the act in the biblical drama in which we currently live. And, and what we discussed last week was that Jesus, after his resurrection from the dead, and yet before his ascension to heaven, he gathered his followers around himself and he gave them a vocation. He, he sent them away and he told them this. He said, as the Father has sent me, so now I am sending you. In other words, the mission of the community of Jesus followers is to follow Jesus in such a way that other people might see him and be drawn and come to follow him as well. This is our vocation, to so know and love and serve and follow Jesus that we actually become increasingly like him so that when the world looks at us, they see something that they are then drawn towards so that they can come to know, love, and serve and follow Jesus. And that brings us to Act 6 of the biblical drama. Where is this story going? How does the book end? It's a big question. And with one word to summarize it all, I would say this, the hope at the end of the biblical story is new creation. It's the hope that one day God will show up and will make all things new and all things right. This morning, I want to explore what exactly this means. What is the hope of new creation? And why does it matter? And so to help us explore these questions, I'd, I want to invite you, if you have a Bible, if not, the text will be on the screen, to the, the New Testament book of Revelation. Not Revelations. There's no book in the Bible called Revelations. Revelation, is just one of them, is the last book in the Bible. And is often a book in the Bible that people either love or they can't stand. Uh, but th this is where we find ourselves this morning. And so would you please turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 20. And we're going to look at chapter 20, verse 11, all the way through chapter 21, verse 5. This is God's word. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. 
and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. God's word. Would you pray with me? Father, as we read these words, I, I feel there, there's, there's a weightiness. This hope that we have is, is heavy because it's real. And yet there's a lightness as well. There's a joy. Please, Father, open the ears of our hearts this morning. Open our minds. We, we thank you that you not only inspired these words so long ago when they were first written, but that you have preserved them for the sake of your people and for the sake of your mission in this world, whole world whom you love so much. Uh, we love you too, Father, and we pray in your Son's name and by your Spirit. Amen. There is so much we could say and talk about when it comes to the question of what is the final destination? What is this new creation? And for, for the sake of this morning, what I'd like to do is just suggest this one thing, and that's this. That in these words, in what we just read, God's new creation will be a place where we are welcomed by grace, to enjoy God's presence forever in a world without death and suffering. God's new creation will be a place where we are welcomed by grace to enjoy God's presence forever in a world without death and suffering. And so we begin with this idea that the new creation is a place where we are welcomed by grace. Now, 
in the first half of this text that I, that I just read, uh, at first glance, it, you may be left with the question of, okay, so where's, where's the grace? Because it seems, it seems to me like there's an awful lot of judgment. And that would be an apt observation because the, the imagery that we're given is, in fact, a courtroom. It's a courtroom scene. John, the author of Revelation, who is receiving these visions, he begins by saying, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. I, he doesn't even have to say who it is, because we know. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. It's as if all reality disappears, because all that matters is there's God on his throne as king and judge. And then we're told, I saw the dead, great and small. And then, a little bit further down, we're told that the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And so the idea is that everything disappears except for God, who's seated on his throne. And everyone who has ever lived at any point in the history of the world is all of a sudden standing before God. This is Judgment Day. There will come a day when every single human being who has ever lived stands before the Creator. The Creator and just judge of the entire world. And then we're told about books. We're told that there were books that were opened. And there were two categories of books. There are, there are books that were opened, and in them were recorded everything that everyone has ever done. That's a little terrifying to me. And then there's another category, a book of life. We'll, we'll come back to that in a moment. But what we see here in this courtroom scene is God sitting on his throne and everyone who has ever lived standing before him with books open, books in which are written everything you and I have ever done in our entire life. Action, thought, word. And we're told that everyone will be judged on the basis of what's written in these books. If this feels heavy to you, it does me too. And it should. This, this is not a game. This is not a scare tactic. There will come a day when we all stand before the Creator and give an account for the life that we've lived. And, and if there's any bit of you that feels uncomfortable with that, again, for me, that's certainly the case then I, I want to suggest something that might sound a bit odd. I, I think that to the extent we're able to just remove ourselves from this situation, this is very good news. Think about this. If you, if you just take yourself out of the equation for just a minute, is this not what our world needs? Does not our world need someone who's powerful and strong and good and just to show up one day and to say, okay, everyone stop. 
everyone stop. All the corruption that's going on, stop. All the evil, all the injustice, everything, stop. No more genocide. No more murder. No more power games. Everything stops right now because I'm here. The one true judge of the world. And whatever evil that has ever been done that was not held accountable for, I'm going to name it and I'm going to condemn it right now. Friends, isn't, isn't this what our world longs for? Isn't this what we need? The, the uncomfortable thing about it is not that God is going to bring his perfect justice to the world. It's that I, I can't somehow remove myself from that. Because it, it wouldn't be consistent or fair for me to, to ask God to bring his perfect justice to the world, but then to keep myself out of the light. And so God comes as a good and a just and a strong judge to make things right. Now, if you're still wondering, Michael, didn't you say something about grace? <laughs> Come on. Yes, because the books that I mentioned are not the only books that are opened. There's another book, a book that is referred to as the book of life. And all of those whose names are written in the book of life are welcomed into what we will see is the new creation. And so the million-dollar question is how in the world do I get my name in that book, right? That's the question. And, and to help us understand this, and, and by the way, this idea of this, this book with everyone's names written in it is something that we see. It's something that we see throughout the New Testament. Jesus, for example, in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 10, he talks about this book. The Apostle Paul, who wrote about a quarter of the New Testament, he refers to this book in his letter to the Philippians, chapter 4. The, the New Testament book of Hebrews mentions this book. In it are the names of everyone who belongs to God. And here at the end of the story, we find this book as well. And in order to understand how in the world do we get our names in this book, I want to contrast it, because I think the story does, with the other books. The other books are a record of everything we've ever done. In other words, the other books are an account of our moral performance. These books are an account of our moral performance. And in contrast to these books, according to which everyone will be judged, there is another book, a different book, a book of life. And the way into this book is not through moral performance. You cannot earn your way into the book of life. God offers life to everyone as a gift. It is by sheer grace, receiving this gift, that we enter the new creation. We cannot earn our way. We cannot try as hard as we can. It is not by moral performance, but by sheer grace grace, receiving a gift that we are welcomed into the new creation. Yale 
theologian Miroslav Volf puts it this way. He said, God will judge. Not because God gives people what they deserve, but because some people refuse to receive what no one deserves. If evildoers experience God's terror, it will not be because they have done evil, but because they have resisted to the end the powerful lure of the open arms of the crucified Messiah. God's new creation will be a place where we are welcomed by grace. It's a gift, and it's a gift for everyone. And like all gifts, it's a gift that must be received. It must be accepted. And it's a costly gift. It'll cost you your entire life. And yet, it's for everyone. But it must be received. If I, if I come to your house and I, I put a gift on your front door with a note that says for you, I've offered it. I've, I've given it to you. And, and yet, unless you open the door, unless you pick it up, unless you take it inside and put it on your table, take the wrapping paper off and open up the box and take the gift out and enjoy its benefits, then you have not received this gift. God will not coerce anyone into a relationship with him. You can reject the invitation, you can ignore it, but you cannot earn it. It is a gift. Sheer grace. But what, what though, is this new creation like? What will it be like? Into what exactly are we welcomed? We are welcomed by grace, first. Secondly, to enjoy the presence of God forever. Let's go back to the text. In chapter 21, John tells us, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And what should be ringing in your mind are the very first words in the biblical story. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We're talking about a new, a renewed, a restored creation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. In the ancient world, the sea meant chaos. It meant death. Uh, there's still a lot today we don't know about the sea. We're constantly learning new things as we ex just begin to explore the bottom of the seabed, and, and yet we know way more than they did in the ancient world. The sea was terrifying in the ancient world. If someone fell into the ocean and never came back out, who knows what happened to them? This was a terrifying reality. This was chaos. This was death. And here God is saying in this new creation, there is no chaos. There is no death. And then what we see in the theme, as the theme for the rest of this text, is the presence of God. Listen to this. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Jerusalem, the historic capital of the nation of Israel, 
the people of God. And, and here's this image of a new Jerusalem coming down. And the thing that, that, that has been so special about Jerusalem for the ancient people of Israel is the temple. The temple was the place where the very presence of God dwelt. And so here we get this image of, of the new Jerusalem coming down, this place where the very presence of God is supposed to dwell, coming down from heaven onto the earth. Why? And why is this, this new Jerusalem dressed like a bride for her husband, beautifully adorned? Because God intends to come and dwell within his new creation, just as he did in the beginning. Do you remember we were told in the very first few chapters of the Bible that God intended to come and walk even among Adam and Eve? That's the image we get. In the cool of the day, he always intended to come and live among his image bearers. Heaven and earth were always meant to be one. And so this is the picture that we get. God comes to be present. And, and this, let me just say, the presence of God touches on the deepest longing of every human heart. Even when we don't have the language for it, every single one of us was created to be in the presence of God. And in the world we live in today, we get glimmers, we get glimpses, but there is coming a day when God, in all of his glory and all of his majesty, will come and will make himself present to live among us. Uh, last summer, uh, as many of you know, my family moved from Waco, Texas to Monmouth County, New Jersey. And, and last year, uh, when we were still in Texas, uh, our daughter Esther was in a preschool program in a local church. Um, and, and when it became clear that this, this move, it seems, was something that, that God was calling us to, we, we began talking about it with our kids. And as you can imagine, for a four-year-old, the idea of moving uh, created quite a bit of instability in my little daughter's heart and mind, and she began having a rough time and began experiencing some separation anxiety. And I'll, I'll never forget that the last time I took her to her preschool, I brought her and she did not want to go. Uh, but I, I, I had to cling her off of me, like pull her off of me and give her to the teacher there. And that's when she started crying and, and did not stop and started like, screaming for daddy and like saying dad why are you letting them do this to me like and i'm thinking oh my gosh i am going to i don't i don't know what to do right now and i i remember leaving the classroom and just like stepping to the side of the of the door and just listening to the cries of my daughter because all she wanted all she wanted in that moment was just to be with daddy just to be present with daddy. Because deep inside, she believed that if, if, if dad was with me, everything would be fine. This is the new creation. We, we like, like small children, 
for their parents. We were created with this longing to be in the presence of God because deep down we know, even if we don't have the language for it, that if God is here, if he is present, everything will be fine. The audacious claim of the biblical story is that every desire we have, including those which are currently unfulfilled, is simply an echo of a much deeper, more fundamental longing. A longing for God himself and a world the way that things are supposed to be. Uh, C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hungry. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. People feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in the world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. The Christian hope is that one day God will show up and he will renew his entire creation. He will restore the world. He will make all things new. And at the center of it will be himself. The one for whom we were created. God's new creation will be a place where we are welcomed by grace to enjoy the presence of God forever. And finally, in a world without death and suffering in a world without death and suffering. Listen to these words. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. The mind boggles with questions. What in the world would it be like to live in, to live in a place without death? Like, what, what would it be like to live in a world without pain? Does this in some way involve God restructuring the laws of physics? Like if I, if I jump off a building, am I just going to bounce on the floor, and, but it's not going to hurt? Like, can I not stub my toe? What kind of world is this? These questions abound, right? We, we cannot help but try to imagine what this would be like. And, and I don't know the answers to these questions. The text does not give us a Polaroid picture of the future, nor does it give us a journalistic account. But what it does give us is something so much more beautiful. It gives us an image. It gives us an image. So, so there I was in the hallway listening to the cries of my daughter because I thought, okay, if it, if it dies down, then great. But it wasn't dying down. And so I couldn't. I just couldn't leave. 
And, and so I, I just went back into the classroom, and of course, the moment Esther saw me, she just bursted out of the arms of the teacher straight into mine. And, and I held her, and I grabbed her bag, and I apologized to the teachers. And, and as soon as we got out into the hallway, I, I just I knelt down, and I put her right in front of me, and, and I didn't say a thing. I just held her face in my hands, and I wiped away her tears. That's all I did. I didn't say a thing. I held her face in my hands, and I just wiped away her tears. Because that's all she needed in that moment, was to be with me and to have her tears wiped away. I don't know what brings tears to your eyes. Maybe even this morning, I don't know what brings tears to your eyes. Perhaps painful memories of the past. Or anxiety or fear about the future. Maybe physical or emotional pain in the present. Whatever those things are that bring tears to your eyes, the biblical story claims, listen, the biblical story claims that a day is coming a day is coming when God will show up and, and like a loving parent, he will wipe the tears from the face of every single one of his children. And with those tears, he will wipe away everything that causes them. This is the hope that we have in Christ. This is how the story ends. And it's a gift that's for everyone. And at the center of it is the very presence of God. God's new creation will be a place where we are welcomed by grace to enjoy God's presence forever in a world without suffering and death. And so what I'd like to do this morning is end with three questions. I don't want you to reflect on each of these three questions. I, I want to invite you to pick one question to reflect on and, and even to pray over. And, and these are the questions. The first is this. What would it take for you to accept God's grace? Maybe you're here today and, and you in some way know that there, there's some sort of a line of faith that you have not crossed. Maybe you have questions that, that, that you've not yet heard good answers to. Maybe you have your own reasons, bad experiences in the church, whatever it may be. For some reason, you know the offer is there from God, and yet you have not accepted, you have not received, you have not surrendered. The question is, what would it take what would it take for you to accept God's grace? The second question is this. How is God inviting you to become more aware of his presence? One day his presence will be unmistakable. It'll be everywhere. These days, though, in the world in which we live, God's presence, unless we're looking for it, might be easy to miss. And yet, the invitation is to live a sort of life where we become increasingly aware that he's so much more present than we think. What might that look like for you? 
Matt mentioned earlier that as a community, many of us are, are reading the scriptures together. Maybe for you, you've, you've never actually had set times of prayer. And that's something that you feel invited into. How is God inviting you to become more aware of his presence? Third question is this. Whose tears might God be inviting you to wipe away? If this is the ultimate end, this is the final destination. If there will come a day when God will hold the world in his hands and wipe away every tear, then part of what it means to be God's people today is to be a preview of that day, of that coming attraction. Whose tears might God be inviting you to wipe away? God's new creation will be a place where we are welcomed by grace to enjoy God's presence forever in a world without death and suffering. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the hope that we have in your son, Jesus, the hope of eternal life in your new creation. This is a good hope. It's true and it's real. And we ask that you, you would instill this hope deep within our hearts, that this would be the thing that pulls us from one moment to the next, whatever storm we find ourselves in, whatever pain or suffering we find ourselves experiencing. We ask that this would be the hope that we cling to. Father, we thank you. And we love you too. And we pray in your son's name and by your spirit. Amen.